Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 89, an audio season four, episode 30 of Music Is Not a Genre. Thank you, as always, for listening and watching. You can support this podcast on patreon.com slash music is not a genre, where you get early releases of everything and exclusive content and input on future episodes. You can also support at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. That is the audio hub. And you can donate anything you'd like there. My public hub is youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. As always, there's a lot there, including music. Uh, and the new home of Music Is Not A Genre is nickdematteo.com slash podcast. Please go there. You can uh, click anything as far as listening and watching and the text and all of the links to music and information and even ways to support this podcast, which is always appreciated. Uh, let's get to why I am talking in this voice. And that is this week's topic. Primo, Dreamo, Emo, Screamo, Gleemo, Fimo, Rap. Real Emo doesn't exist. And neither does that accent. Uh, listen, I'd love to do the accent for the entire episode. Uh, it'd be fun. But that's not what I'm going to do. Because, you know, you, you've come here to enjoy my mellifluous tones. Uh, and that's the idea. So if you've been watching and not listening, you saw my wonderful hoodie, <laughs> purple, and this uh, T-shirt here, Dark Quiet Death, which if you know what it is, awesome, awesome. And if not, uh, look it up. It's fun. And uh, for those of you watching uh, or listening and who can't see, uh, again, there's an array of CDs here that I will be talking about today. Not not every one in detail, but they all bear on the central theme of this podcast. I am contending that emo is one of the primary genres in all of music that identifies and, and defines the identity crisis of genres in general and really kind of defines why music is not a genre. And it's because, in my mind, I think, you know, there are so many definitions of emo, and we're going to try and find out if there is a central theme to all of this and something that kind of connects them all. And, uh, and I think if you know enough about emo, you kind of get a sense that there is, but that does not define what the music sounds like, which is where it gets really hairy. And I say that your definition of emo 
depends on when you discovered it. And yes, you can say that's true for any music, but let's take let's take hip hop for an example. You know, some people say classic hip hop was 90s hip hop, some people say it's 80s hip hop. And that just again depends on when you grew up. But anybody who knows hip hop who's listened to hip hop can identify a hip hop song unquestionably pretty much throughout the ages, for the 40-some years that it's existed. And even though the styles have changed and the influences have changed and, and changed, and how uh, hip-hop mixes with other types of music has absolutely changed, I think there's no question that you know a hip-hop song when you hear it. You know That doesn't mean that there aren't other non- there are other songs not generally in the, centrally in the realm of hip-hop that incorporate hip-hop that's a different thing. But I think in this case, you like I said, you kind of know it when you, when you hear it. Whereas with emo, I know from personal experience that there are bands that have been called emo that I would never have identified as emo. And that doesn't mean that they're not or is anything. Again, does it really exist? But it does mean that it's much harder to classify. It's much harder to codify and to, and to define. Uh, and I like how this ties into the uh, book re- book review or book talk that I did, Major Labels, uh, Kelvasani's book, because it really, to me, is a counter argument to the idea that it is easy to define uh, a genre. Uh, and since I think that your definition of emo is based largely, largely on when you discovered it, let me go through all the terms that I threw in at the title, some of which are real, some of which I made up, to kind of give you an idea of where I'm coming from with this and where you might be coming from in terms of what you think of as emo, okay? Which will also give this somewhat of a history. And uh, I'll discuss where I come in on this, et cetera, et cetera. So the first term that I threw up there was primo. Uh, honestly, just a joke. Now, if you're if you do not... Uh, have uh, have if you haven't seen the text or the title or the or the podcast the card the graphic card, it's P R E dash M O uh, right. So just having some fun, and to me, that is music that was emo before emo was a term, and I'm thinking and and I mean a term that was used widely, a term that everyone knew, a term that people started to define music by. And that to me can go back far as far as you want, but I'll start with the 80s here and you know bands that have been name checked for this kind of influence, huge heavy influence on emo, bands that kind of predefined emo, let's say, would be Rites of Spring and subsequently Fugazi or Fugazi. Uh, and I think that's the biggest one. And what they were doing, of course, it was a response as, you know, so, so much music is a response to previous music. And in this case, it was response to the harshness of punk in terms of its relentlessness and in terms, uh, and lyrically as well. And so the, Bands like Rites of Spring were doing sensitive personal lyrics, not afraid to be vulnerable. Their vocals were more vulnerable. They weren't as necessarily as um, aggressive or shouty. There was still the idea of uh, guitars that could be both soft and loud, which of course also influenced grunge, but in a different way. 
And that's the primo that I'm talking about. And I think um, I'd also like to give a nod to uh, The Cure. I always thought that knowing The Cure as well as I do, and they're one of the bands that I know super, super well, I always thought that so much of what certain bands did, The Cure did first. The Cure to me is sort of the, they contain multitudes the way the Beatles and Prince do. The way they, you know, you can take uh, one song from one of those bands and it sounds almost nothing like another song depending on what period of their career or what they were going for and all of that. And not only is that great for them and great for the listener, I think, but also it, what it did was set up multiple uh, threads of influence. So there are people who were heavily influenced by the Beatles who went in one direction, let's say uh, Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne always said that the Beatles were a huge influence. And another direction might be the Elephant Six Collective, which was the psychedelic part of the Beatles. And that's even more direct. And you can go indirect and talk about uh, power pop and things like that. I think The Cure is the same way, where they had kind of that jangle pop, but they also had kind of more of a dark goth, uh, shoegaze even, uh, straight up, you know, pop, uh, dream pop, and absolutely emo too. So no, Cure's not an emo band. I don't know anybody who would call them that, but even in terms of how Robert Smith dresses and the makeup and all of that, there's, you know, there's a certain point at which emo and goth kind of cross over. And even though the Cure goes beyond all of that, you can see the seeds and the germs in there, especially in the, in the album 17 Seconds, Faith and Pornography. That was kind of that three where it was darker there. And Many of those lyrics were, you know, personal and, and all of that. And I'd also like to give another quick nod to Husker Du, one of my all-time favorite bands. And no, again, not emo, certainly not in sound, if we're trying to define what that sound is. They're more straight-ahead post-punk, but the way the lyrics were, were written... Uh, is clearly an emo kind of uh, thing there. So you can see where they would be an influence. And then the next era, which a lot of people call the first wave of emo, I call Dreamo. And it's honestly just to come up with a term, you know, that had the emo thing in there. And the way I see it is this was early, mid-1990s. Bands like Sunny Day Real Estate, Jawbreaker, The Promise Ring. And it was before emo was heavily ritualized and and codified as it would become very soon after that, just a few years later. And in fact, and, and let's be clear about this, both the bands in the Primo era and the Dreamo era did not like being called emo. Uh, and I think in general, you can talk to any musician and other than, in, you know, their, their, let's say their level of vitriol will depend on why they're answering the question or what the context is. But in general, musicians don't like to be defined by one term. You know, I call my band Rex Music Electro Power Pop, which is relatively specific, but it doesn't nearly encompass everything that Rex does. I don't 
bristle if somebody were to call me that or something else entirely, because if that's what they hear, that's what they hear, and that's wonderful. But if you're a certain type of band with a certain type of attitude and 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 trying to not be pigeonholed to be called uh, a genre name, that then you know, you're, you're afraid it forces you to have to be like that all the time. And that's the last thing you want to be forced to do. Uh, for most people in general and Sunday day real estate certainly hated that to the point where they said that they weren't. But I think anyone looking at the history of emo has to mention them. And you'll see here in my diorama there, the, uh, rising tide, which was their last album. I also owned how it feels to be something on, which for me was just an absolute, like there's an album that, that changed things for me and it kind of blew me away in a lot of ways. And yet the first time I actually heard Sunny Day was their song Seven, I'm pretty sure. Memory, if memory, you know, is faulty, whatever. And I, that was because I saw them on a music video show, not MTV. It was some other one, and I can't remember it. But I loved the video, and the music just threw me for a loop because I had been listening to so much grunge and, and hip-hop at the time that it came out of left field in a way that felt familiar. It, it had elements of 80s music. And I'll go into some of the other bands and things that it sounded like to me a little later, but the way it hit me was, oh, wow, you know, this is something I have to really dig into. And that is where I came into the picture as far as, let's say, I'll say this, being curious about what emo was. And I'm not entirely sure that I was aware at the time that Sunny Day was considered an emo band, which great, right? Because why why should that matter at all? There's so many songs I've heard I didn't know where they came from. And sometimes the uh, artists surprised me, the origin. And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But in many cases, I think if I had known what that music was supposed to be called beforehand, if it was something that wasn't in my kind of core listening, I maybe wouldn't have listened to it and would never have heard it. And that's why this, you know, labels can be so limiting. And so to me, that 90s version of emo, which in some ways was the truest emo, let's say, was more experimental, was still kind of, you know, uh, allowing itself to have more breadth and finding its way in many ways and not being confined by what it was supposed to be, because nobody knew what it was supposed to be other than critics in the media who, who, what do they really know? And I'd like to give shout outs to a couple of other bands from that era, particularly Smashing Pumpkins and Green Day, who kind of hold to me different aspects of what people see emo as. Because if you listen through to Smashing Pumpkins, okay, they're glumped in the grunge era, fine. But they uh, have professed that they were heavily influenced by The Cure, and yet had the sound they had and a little bit of a harder sound. When you go through, you know, the lyrics and the way the vocals were done, you know, to me, that really just strikes as emo and much more than any other grunge band or band of that era, certainly. And yet again, Smashing Pumpkins did more than that in many ways. So they were not necessarily lumped in uh, underneath that moniker, that genre name. And Green Day, 
kind of falls more into so let's say smashing pumpkins sounded more like the other 90s emo bands green day sounded more like bands that would come to be called emo later in the late 90s early o's and even though no they're not you know they're they're kind of post-punk new you know new uh punk revival that kind of a thing although they started pretty much in the post-punk era or at the at the tail end of it they had elements of the sensitivity of lyrics and vocals that did not beat you over the head all the time, which, you know, can happen some punk and metal. So the, you know, name check those. And then Weezer is often cited as being an emo band. I experienced Weezer when they came out and through their years and there, I understand the association but there is no part of my brain that has ever thought of them as emo. Not at all. Partly because of how the music is produced and the kind of cheekiness of Rivers Cuomo. And even though he does write personal lyrics in many ways and people will cite Pinkerton and all of that, that's just not, <clears throat> you know. Now, partly that's because what I considered emo at the time to me, didn't really sound anything like that. And what emo would become did sound more eventually like Weezer. But Weezer's all over the place, you know, in a good way. No, I, I just don't think they qualify, which brings me to the next era. And I just called it emo. And, and why did I call it emo? Because that's really when I came into the picture. And this is sort of proving my point, which is call any of these eras and bands emo or don't. They don't care, and you shouldn't care either. But for me, when I became super, super actively aware of emo was in the you know late 90s, early 2000s with bands like Jimmy Eat World. I'm pointing Weatherman Point here with the three albums that I own of theirs, Bleed American Futures and Chase This Light. Hard to see a couple of them because they're stuck in the back there, but you can always look up what the you know, covers look like. And I remember Bleed American as being an album that really changed the course of my music in some ways. You will hear on Rex's first album, Parts and Labor, clear influence. And even up to uh, Rex's most recent album, Synergy for the Weird. And there's some music that I've featured. I'll feature one song at the end, of course, and then I have a couple of other links that to me kind of, you know, connect to what we're talking about here and the, and the influences and how different songs that are considered emo can be. And, and it's that sort of more, you know, somewhat more ritualized, but still had a rawness to it, uh, you know, and the confessional lyrics are there and the uh, willingness to be soft when... You, you know, it was appropriate when they felt they wanted to and the willingness to go hard as well. And another band that kind of defined that for me was Dashboard Confessional. So um, the uh, places you have come to fear the most, the uh, mission of Mark Scar, I believe I got that right. Chris Caraba from Further Seems Forever. And that was another one where I was like, oh, you can do that. And I've said this so many times, so many podcasts, it just hit me as, oh, you can do that. And that, even though I had been doing music prior 
to any of these bands that had those elements, uh, particularly a song called Your Sweetness, which is, I believe I've put a link to. Uh, that era with Jimmy World and Dashboard Confessional, two in particular for me, although Saves the Day, New Found, New Found Glory belong to that era, really pushed things in a different direction and brought emo to the forefront in the pop world as well. And I'm going to go for some tangential bands uh, again that have sometimes been connected to emo or called emo. And these are bands that I never thought of as emo. I can understand again why they would have been called that. But to me, strictly speaking, if there's anything that is strictly speaking here, no, I don't really see it that way. And those are, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead, that album I have all the way over there, uh, At the Drive-In, who I've talked about in a previous uh, episode, morphed into Mars Volta and all the bands, the Anti-Mask and all the ones they did after that, uh, Bosnian Rainbows, yes. We're not certain they weren't emo because they went in a different direction, but you can hear in a sense why At the Drive-In would be considered that. Although the, there are other terms that have been used for that for that band, which I think are more appropriate, and then Coheed and Cambria, and to me, all of these bands were more progressive than your average emo band, and that's not a judgment call. It's in, in terms of their willingness to go in crazy directions with their music, and you know, get hard in ways that might not be, again, strictly speaking, what you would think of as emo. So. I dispute that they are emo bands, but I did love that. There's a, there's a song on um, that album there from, uh, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead, Catterwall, which captivated me. I can't, I, I probably listened to that dozens of times in the car when I had a car and a CD player. Now, along with that era of what I always thought of as emo emo is Screamo. And Screamo I've talked about because I did an episode on bands with day names and we talked about Taking Back Sunday and Thursday, two big ones, and Hawthorne Heights is another one. And this is a personal fave of mine. It's an offshoot. And I think that this is one of those uh, genres that kind of hit the mark with the name, you know, and is more, is, is stricter than other subgenres. So it's a little easier to define. And there are actually bands now that are reviving the sound, which I think is awesome. And, you know, it didn't last long because it's abrasive and it was a period in time. But some great things came out of it. Just some great things like the bands Taking Back Sunday and Thursday, uh, two of my favorites from that early O's, mid O's era. And then, okay, if there's any controversy at all in this episode, here's where it is. It's with the era I call Gleemo. Gleam is in shiny, polished. And that's the super poppy, pop punk, punk, pop, 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 punk version of emo. And that's what most people today think of as emo. And if you're older and you grew up with all the other versions of emo that came before it, or even the primo, then when that came your reaction would probably have been, if it was anywhere near my reaction, that's pop punk. That's not emo. That's more Green Day. And fine for everybody. Again, 
great bands, great music, uh, Fallout Boy, Blink-182, Paramore, uh, later Panic at the Disco, Reliant K, Plain White Tees, and like 15 or 20 others that all had hits at the time. This was mega. This was mega the way grunge was mega. Emo had been around for a while in the way that grunge was around from the mid-80s. Before, again, bands like Green River, who didn't like to be called grunge, saying the same story. But it took several years. It took emo, in my mind, even longer to get to a point where it just blew up the, the radio. And there was still, you know, pretty significant radio at the time. And those bands, particularly, I think, Fall Out Boy, Blink-182, and Paramore, were just huge. And to this day are huge, you know. And that is, yes, okay. Sure, I see, and there's emo there, yeah, but that's not how I would define emo. And this is what makes this kind of awesome, is everyone has a different definition. And I think we're kind of getting to the point where we might have an answer uh, or a an echo of the title here, really, emo doesn't exist. And I'd like to give quick shout-outs to two other bands who I have here, bottom tier. I put these all at the bottom tier because these were the tangential ones that I think of as not in that emo class, but related as opposed to the ones I own up here, which, you know, uh, Sunny Day Real Estate, Jimmy World Dashboard Confessional. That's the first thing you think of when you hear those names is the word emo. I don't for these bands, which was the Trail of Dead, as I mentioned, AFI, which was such a freaking discovery for me. Because at the time, uh, it, you know, the, the, to me, they had more edge, let's say, than your average emo band. And were much more kind of like punk metal in, in a lot of ways and had a goth element to them and all of that, Davey Havoc. And what I discovered in the, was like the mid-late O's was that they had been around since 91. And there's, a, there's some troopers, you know, to go around that long in the underground and not really hit it in any significant way for about 15 years is awesome that, that you know, and they're still around. They are music lifers, and those are the people I love the most, as you know, you know. And then, of course, My Chemical Romance, which it kind of surprises me in some ways that this, was even, this even came up as emo. I, there's a list of bands on Wikipedia that, that are, have been called emo. And I would say there's a good 30% I don't know. And of the 70% I do know, I think a good half of them I wouldn't consider emo, such as some of the ones I've mentioned today. And My Chemical Romance falls under that latter category. They more kind of pomp and drama, and there's a gothiness to them. Uh, I, they have elements of emo, certainly, but to me, they went beyond that in many ways and kind of defied it as well in, in other ways. And kind of a, and and I was, you know, equally blown away by My Chemical Romance in, in a lot of ways at the time. Quick side note to there is that Gerard Way is a co-creator of the comic and subsequently the TV show, uh, The Umbrella Academy, which is kind of cool. And that My Chemical Romance came about, came together because of the 9-11 attacks. They were compelled to create music because of that, uh, which can happen with tragedies. 
uh, whether they're personal or global. And that's my side for that era. I uh, apologize to people who actually I don't. I, I want to talk to people who think of Fallout Boy and Blink-182 as the, uh, you know, epitomes of emo because I don't agree. I do not agree. And yeah, I was not a huge fan of theirs. Respect their music, fun stuff, but there's just something about it that didn't strike me as the, I guess it, in a way, less angsty emo is a good way to put it. Pop emo? Maybe you can call it pop emo. Let's call it pop emo. That's what gleemo means. Pop emo. But it's not that, you know, d- you know, deeper kind of darker emo that I was used to before all of that came about. And then you have uh, two more peeps. Fimo, which I had to put a dash in because there is actually an artist. Uh, who spells their name F-E-M-O. Don't know much about them. The music is compelling, though. And that, and what I'm saying here is that there has been a wave of new bands reviving the emo sound because after, you know, the Fallout Boy and Blank and Paramore had their hits, that sound kind of waned because a more electronic pop kind of popped up and hip-hop and all that took over. Totally fine. Younger bands are now reviving that sound, but they're busting up the boys club because let's face it, you know, other than Paramore and some early seminal uh, emo type bands that never got any press, almost all of the other bands are just completely 100% male and a lot of their concerns, let's say, uh, in some, some, some of those concerns, lyrics are genderless in their own ways, but a lot of them come from a male perspective in a very, in a very strong way. So it is like a breath of fresh air to know that bands like Remember Sports, Venues, and Meet Me at the Altar are coming up, and there's way more, uh, as largely female bands, or at least led with female vocals, and reviving this emo, and in some cases, screamo sound. Uh, it's exciting to me. It's exciting, and it's influencing other artists uh, who are more pop, who maybe even are more electronic, to throw some of this type of uh, influence into their music. And then finally, as far as the title goes, emo rap is a thing that I didn't really know was a title, was a, was a term until, you know, a year ago, maybe, maybe two years. And... What I'll say is this, is that hip-hop is as malleable as any other genre, you know, and and I think nowhere is that more evident than in emo rap. You can say it's evident in uh, bands like Death Grips or, or you know, there's, there's so many fusion types of hip-hop, but the way emo rap came about with the aesthetics of it... Uh, how people dress and and what the lyrics were all about. I think that even though sensitive lyrics in hip hop have been around almost since hip hop has existed, maybe not quite from the beginning, but pretty close. Uh, and you can even you know name check a bunch of bands that predated emo rap more recently, including Kanye West and and in some ways even Jay Z. There, there's a there's a confessional nature to their lyrics. The newer class of emo rappers, whether they want to be called that or not, 
really rely on those sensitive lyrics and rely on that aesthetic. And that's, I think, again, it's a breath of fresh air in its own way. And it's been controversial because acts like Juice World, Little Peep, and Extentation died tragically. And as with, as I mentioned in Chris Cornell with Chris Cornell, it's often associated. Well, oh, they were doing that type of music. That was a red flag. I don't ascribe to that school of thought. Uh, but you can understand why there'd be an association there based on that whole kind of goth emo thing going on. But at the same time, you have artists like 24K Golden, Lil Uzi Vert, and Lil Yachty, who are carrying on this so-called emo rap tradition, doing totally fine, you know, and more will come along. And then hopefully it will, you know, be suffused with other things and be called something different. But for now, this is considered uh, in its own way an offshoot and an evolution as well in some ways of emo itself, you know? And so that gets to the other part of the title, which is real emo doesn't exist. It doesn't, it doesn't, right? You know, let's say if you had to describe emo to someone, because originally the term was emo core, which was just a shortening of emotional hardcore music hardcore meaning post-punk but a but a but a hard you know kind of a hardcore version of post-punk shortened to emo core eventually shortened to emo you would say that it is music that has strong edges and sensitive lyrics other than uh let's say screamo and emo rap the vocals tend towards sensitivity doesn't mean that they're a hundred percent that way. I mean, you listen to Jimmy world, they can, they can shout as, as good as the rest of them. I mean, even Chris Caraba, you know, but in general, that's the kind of, uh, cliche there. And so if you are talking about music with an edge that has sensitive lyrics and sensitive vocals, but don't use the term emo, I guarantee you people are going to come up with some pop, pop punk bands, some metal bands, some progressive metal bands, you know, and, and bands who were just considered pop or just considered rock or considered alt or considered grunge. If you just use the descriptions that I gave without the term emo, you're going to start to get people mentioning bands that, oh, yeah, I love the sensitivity, again, of the Smashing Pumpkins and, and you know, and and the confessional lyrics of uh, certain aspects of Alice in Chains or whatever else you, you want to go to or how, you know, Kanye was afraid to get kind of weird and, and, sens- and sensitive and confessional in a lot of ways, but none of those bands were considered emo. And then you go to bands who are considered emo and you get, you know, such... Uh, disparate sounds. I mean, even the bands that I have up here in my diorama, there are some crossover, but they don't sound like each other. And to some, and in some ways, I think they're so far from sounding like each other that, that it really explains why I don't think real emo exists. But the main reason why real emo doesn't exist is what I said at the beginning, which is talk to a person in their teens or twenties uh, they might 
think of my chemical romance as old school emo. I've seen, you know, kids in t-shirts with, uh, with my chemical romance on it, or they might think remember sports or any of those as emo talk to people in their thirties and maybe even early forties. And they're going to definitely think of fallout boy and blink 182 and Paramore and all of that as emo talk to me and I'm going to say Jimmy Eat World and Dashboard Confessional and Sunny Day Real Estate for sure. And then you talk to people even older than I am, and they're going to wonder why we're talking about any of this at all. But they're also going to be going back to a band like Rites of Spring, you know, and, and Ian McKay and all those those peeps in that group and their subsequent group. And that, to me, is why real emo doesn't exist. Because if you say one thing is real emo and other things aren't, the way I basically have been, you know, through this podcast, then you are dismissing a lot of what other people think and feel and believe, you know. And so that proves to me even more strongly than many of the other episodes I've done that music is not a genre for a very good reason, which is the more inclusive we can be with how we listen to music and how we think of it and how we talk about it and how we write about it, the better it'll be for listeners and artists and all of that stuff. I, you know, I had here sort of a quick, quickie, quick, quick of the the bands that I have up here in my diorama, but I think I've mentioned a lot of that stuff already. And as we're kind of getting up to the end of our time, because I say so, I think that this is probably a good time to pivot to the final part of all of my podcasts, which is the song of Rex that I would like to check here uh, is a song called Break You. And it's one of my all-time favorite Rex songs, the way it came out, the musicians who played on it, uh, where it went from its origin, and the, the how visual it feels to me when I'm listening to it. Please take a listen, stay tuned in a minute or two and listen to it here or click the link and listen to it at uh, recarea.bandcamp.com or find it on any of the streaming services, including YouTube. It's Break You by Rec from the album Parts and Labor and Labor spelled L-A-B-O-U-R. And I think you'll hear that sensitive, confessional, you know, kind of angsty lyrical quality with some sensitive delivery and uh, a little bit of dreaminess in the guitars that then end up getting harder and edgier and, and all of that. And you'll see and hear why that's the song I chose as my example. But at the same time, I'd like to mention two other songs, and that is the song that I talked about before, Your Sweetness, which was a song that was released long before, several years before uh, Jimmy World's Sweetness, called, uh, I mean, uh, from an EP called Your EP in 96. And I think that you'll hear how, is it emo, isn't it emo, is a great question to ask of any of this type of music, including Your Sweetness, but when you listen to the lyrics and listen to the way the music was produced and performed, again, by some great musicians, you'll understand why I mentioned that here. And then finally, to show the breadth of what emo could be, uh, or music in general, I have also put a link to a more recent song, which is a cover of a song that my dad made famous, 
back in the early 60s called Suddenly, and I did a cover of it on Rex's recent album, Synergy for the Weird. And that song suddenly was deliberately produced as what I would call a pop punk song, but what many other people would call quality-wise, sound-wise, emo. And listen to all three of them. I have the links to all three, or you can search for them anywhere online or go to the band camp uh, with the links. And again, stay tuned for Break You coming up. And let me know if you think that any of them sound emo, you know, think, or if any of these bands that I have said are emo or aren't emo that you agree or disagree with. I, I really want to know, you know, uh, if you know any of this music and that what, you, what do you consider real emo? Do you think real emo exists? Can it be clearly defined? And if so, which bands are emo to you? And if any of Rex music that was put here is also you know, would you also think of that as emo? I want to know all of what you're thinking and feeling and what you're listening to, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for spending this time with me, and I will talk to you next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.